hope you all enjoyed the last week of the of that new intro. I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, so we still have one more week of just college football. So I wanted to use it again. But uh what's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Matt Sports House. I am your host, Matthew Anderson, back and excited to talk about all the things that just happened this past weekend in college football. It was an excellent way to kind of get things started. A lot of energy. I know fans were excited to be back in the stands or at home watching the games and all with just like, but you could tell it's a different, but with the college football atmospheres whenever, whenever everybody is gathered together. So we're going to go ahead and kick it off, start talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide versus the Miami Hurricanes. Alabama did get the win when blowout fashion with the final score of 44-13. First of all, Alabama scored on eight of 10 possessions. And this is so funny because I think a lot of people thought the Miami Hurricanes had a chance returning all the talent they did. And it just was, it just was not the case. Bryce Young, I think uh, Nick Saban has said that he had over almost seven figures worth of endorsements. If he didn't have it, then he definitely has it now. And I'm pretty sure some other companies are going to try to partner with them because he's like the Heisman front runner right now. It's week one. We do have to calm down with this, but like he looked like he'd been doing this forever. Um, 27 for 38 for 344 yards. The thing that I thought was kind of interesting for uh, Miami, where they were able to get a little bit pressure, get a little bit of pressure on Bryce, but he moves really well. Like he almost moves like a basketball player's out out there, but he doesn't always go look to go run and get the first down. He kind of keeps his eyes downfield and can find his receivers. Jamison Williams. The transfer from Ohio State had four catches for 126 yards and a touchdown. When I saw him catch that 94-yard touchdown, and it looked like the Miami safeties had, like, the angle on him, and it's just like he turned it up a little bit and just ran a little bit faster, got to the end zone. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a wrap. That, that Miami just doesn't have the talent to keep up with Alabama. And that proved to be a really good decision for Jamison to transfer from Ohio State to Alabama because at Ohio State, he might have gotten lost in the sauce. All those number one, number two rate receivers coming out of their class at Ohio State right now, some of those guys are finding it hard to catch the ball if you're not in that first unit. So he went to Alabama. I did some research on it. Apparently, they had recruited him very heavily coming out of high school. Clearly, he chose to go up to Ohio, but now he decided to come to Alabama, and this panned out well for him. John Mechie, the third. Uh, he has six catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. Just watching him move out there, you could tell he's like a freakish athlete. Just, just It's crazy. And it really didn't need him to do too much more in this game than that. And clearly they do play in the SEC schedule, so they'll find plenty of use for him throughout the year. Like I said, Alabama had to lead 27-3 at the half. You really could cut the game off. You really wanted to. One thing you notice about Alabama's defense, especially in the openers whenever they play, it seems like they're unleashed. Like they get like, it's like, finally, we get to go hit somebody else. And they're just, if everybody else is moving at fast speed, they're moving at fast forward. They're getting all the heads to the football. Uh, if, they, if there's a turnover, they're getting there. It, it's just a great things to watch. Not to mention Alabama returned eight starters on defense. So like, you know, usually they're having to kind of revamp the whole roster like they had to do this year with their offense. But if they're returning eight guys, it's kind of like, guys, remember what we do? Let's make some corrections in the off season and let's get going. So it was great to be able to watch that happen. They were able to get a lot of pressure on uh, Derrick King early and often, and that kind of rattled him. And once you do that early on with most teams, especially with the Miami offensive line, while they were um, experienced for the most part, it's just when, once you ever get that kind of pressure on them early on, things kind of, uh, you you know, you heard that quote, and it's like everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. Well, that kind of happens here, and then you just kind of unriddle from there. 
one thing I did want to talk about about this game, but just about the Alabama program in total, is we already know how hard it is to get on the field at Alabama. Like the five stars and four stars running everywhere around here, and the three stars are so hungry, they might as well be five stars. But due to how this transfer portal is working now, and guys can transfer and play immediately, you got guys like Henry Toa from Tennessee, and like I told you about Jameson Williams from Ohio State, who are good at their respective schools, have already been through the strength and conditioning program, already was worked, learned how to learned how to kind of get through a playbook. And then they decide they want to go play some championship football and maybe get some more play time. They come to Alabama. So at this point, it's like you could potentially beat out everybody in your class, everybody that's been recruited by Alabama, and then some guys transfer in, and now you have to go play, beat them out. And the best man does play in Nick Saban's on Nick Saban's team. So any recruits, how they're thinking about going to Alabama, it just makes you very, very competitive because it's, it's even more competitive now than it was before with this new transfer portal. Did want to make sure that I read this out, uh, saw this report, thought it was kind of interesting. So Alabama, Crimson Tide, lost the Heisman Trophy winner, another first-round wide receiver, a couple of, no, a first-round quarterback and running back, three drafted offensive linemen from the best offensive line in football, a first-round corner, the MVP of the national championship game, and the top assistant coach in college football, Steve Sarkeesian, who is now at Texas, at Texas and just comes back like this. They literally reload. They call it the process. You love to see it. And I think I mentioned this before, but Bryce, Bryce Young is definitely the leader for the Heisman from the quarterbacks that I saw. Now, granted, he does probably have one of the tougher schedules being he has to go through these SEC teams week by week. But uh, this, this dude definitely, I think one of the announcers said it really well, or maybe it was the lady who did the post-game interview. She's like, you've already broken records in your first game as a starting quarterback at Alabama. And it's like, he's like, yep, yep, yep. And you could tell he's so Nick Saban process driven. He's like, hey, but we got more to do. We'll celebrate this one tonight. Y'all know how that goes. But tomorrow we get ready for the next opponent. So major shout out to Alabama for doing what needed to be done. And uh, for Miami, hopefully they'll make it to Charlotte for ACC championship game. At least I, one could say that one of the benefits for playing Alabama first game of the year, you get to see those weaknesses. And so then you hope, you hope to, you know, get those fixed up and try to climb through the rest of the ACC uh, schedule. Definitely want to hit on this Clemson versus Georgia game. Those in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think people were anticipating this one a little bit more than the Alabama game because they figured that uh, Alabama was going to do what needed to be done and what they've been doing since like 2008. But um, Clemson, Georgia. Georgia gets the win. Final score 10-3. Only score touchdown coming from the pick six. I think that a lot of people expected Georgia's defense to be solid. But that front seven was amazing. Like, if you're a defensive coordinator of a high school, if you just like defensive football, this was the kind of game you want to watch. Now, I do want to give, because I don't think a lot of people aren't giving Clemson credit as far as defensively. Like, Brent Venables called a pretty good game here. Like, Georgia didn't even have a 100-yard rusher. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But that, but the thing that was glaring was that Georgia front seven. I think in the offseason, Kirby Smart and the rest of the defensive coordinator staff, a defensive coordinator and his staff, had realized they were like, okay, DJ doesn't like to run like a Deshaun or maybe how Trevor will when need, not even will need because Trevor could run pretty well. But they're like, he likes to throw it, but stand back and throw it from the pocket and maybe move a little bit, but definitely he's looking to, even whenever it's time to take off a running, he's still looking downfield because he wants to throw that ball. And so it seems like Kirby Smart and them was like, okay, we're just going to bring so much pressure on him that it's going to force him to run in. And uh, DJ, DJ Uyunglele, the Clemson quarterback, just didn't decide to do that. It seemed like Kirk Herbstreit was pointed out a lot during the broadcast. It was like, it doesn't seem like DJ really wants to take off and run. And 
really a lot of people think Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, but even if you go back to Taj Boyd, Clemson has had running quarterbacks seems like since 2011. And so the fact that DJ wasn't able to do that, I think that kind of really handicapped the offense, but not to mention that Georgia defensive, uh, that, like I said, the front seven, the front four, whatever you want to say, they did have seven sacks. And once you're sacking a guy that much, it's like at this point, you kind of break down the game plan. That's like, I just got to kind of get the ball off here. Now, I will say another a Clemson receiver that played well was Joseph Nagata. He uh, it was a number 10. He had six receptions for 110 yards. And so he came to play. So there was one receiver that actually did play well. I think it really hurt DJ that him and Justin Ross were not able to get on the same page. And Justin Ross did have to sit out a year. And although they've done a lot of practice reps, seven on sevens, uh, outside periods, if you want to call it. But you could tell that game rep, and especially against like a, a defense just as good as Georgia, really it takes some time to build and they just haven't had the repetition it seems like I feel bad for that man DJ though because this man went from the a Heisman candidate and then just like what happened with Baker Mayfield he has commercials going throughout the game at the Dr. Pepper and they're not playing very well Baker Mayfield the same thing I think with Hulu and it's like yikes and uh until almost like seems like he was the most hated man on the internet right now like oh my god I just saw like the comments I didn't even see the stuff that people actually like tagged him in but tough for him, definitely a tough break. Something I found interesting was, and if y'all listen, if you haven't listened to the last episode, well, I guess it's college football. So after the last week's episode really doesn't matter anymore. But I talked very heavily about Lynn J. Dixon because I was thinking, okay, Lynn J. Dixon sat behind Travis Etienne for the, like the two or three years, I think two years, and he was supposed to be the guy. And so I was shocked to see, I think Kobe Pryor started the game for Clemson. I'm like, where's Lynn J? And the Will Shipley, who is a five-star running back coming out of state of North Carolina last year. He uh, also, they were like a more of like a one-two punch to replace Lin J. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, and I was looking Twitter, looking on Twitter, look at different places, like what, what has happened here? But it seems like the reports that have come out have been like Lin J didn't have the best fall camp. And so CJ Spiller, who is, I think he's a running backs coach or he helps with the running backs was kind of like, all right, well, if he's not having the best fall camp, we'll play the other guys that had better ones. And like I said, Will Shipley was a five-star running back. This goes to show you guys how tough it is to come play college football and like just play as a freshman and to succeed as a freshman because Will Shipley and Kobe Pryor both had four carries for seven yards. So as good as they are, it was like, man, these guys from Georgia are just a little bit better. Like I said, they're corroborate the camaraderie for that uh, Georgia defensive front seven. And I'm not I'm not even gonna say the front seven because they're the back four play pretty well too. But it's just they had it all together and those Clemson running backs were not able to get it going. Lin J came in for a little while, like almost like maybe like three plays or so is when I saw him. And I was like, okay, so he's not hurt, he's out there. But I kind of understand it if Dabo and CJ thought that he didn't have his best camp at Clemson, you always hear Dabble preaching the best man plays. And so it's like, okay, if you're not putting forth, I don't know if it was an effort thing. I don't even kind of want to put that out there because I don't know like exactly what happened. But if you're going to stand on your principles, if you show that to the starting running back who was expected to have a big season, then everybody else has to kind of follow suit. So I understand it, but I definitely think it hurt Clemson that he didn't play as much because when he got in, he kind of acted as a spark or what have you. But hey, Dabble Swinney going to stand on his principles. I remember whenever Dabble benched um, Sammy Watkins, I was like, are you crazy? What are you doing? But it's better for the longevity of the program. Obviously, it's not fun whenever they ended the season with a loss to Ohio State and start the season to a loss to Georgia. Um, just like I said, I don't want to keep harping on that front seven, but you definitely got to see them some different stunts and just some big guys kind of get after it. Once again, the guy's probably been hitting the offense all 
fall camp. So they're like, okay, finally somebody else out there in orange, let's get to them. Now, as far as that Georgia offense, a lot of people been telling me JT Daniels is a first round quarterback. I didn't see that in the big game. You know, I like, cause I think, I think I said on the last episode that Jordan Palmer thinks that he could have him a Joe Burrow type year. And it's like, okay, but that means I remember when Joe Burrow played Texas, he balled out and it's really the whole entire season. So I, it just didn't strike me as that. He struck me as more of a game manager in this game. If that, um, Zamir White, Zamir White, the running back from Georgia, one of them that went to punch, the other one's Dalvin Cook's younger brother. But uh, Zamir White had 13 carries for 74 yards, tough yards. Um, he's he's really the one that's going to kind of get the, the the tough yards for the, the Bulldogs throughout the year. And then it seemed like Cook is more of the outside guy that can, that can really make some moves and get to the end zone in a hurry. I was expecting Jermaine Burton, number seven, the wide receiver from Georgia, to have a bigger game. He only had two catches for 11 yards. I expect, I do definitely expect him to have a bigger game with Pickens being out, but I guess that just, I don't know if that wasn't the game plan or the Clemson secondary just didn't really allow it. Did want to hit on the South Carolina connection, uh, Channing Tindall for the linebacker for Georgia, number 41. He did go to Spring Valley High School and he was a highly touted guy to end up going to Georgia, which was a bozy move there because he probably could have went to South Carolina and played right away. And it's just, he's definitely competed and, and it's panned out for him at Georgia. Meanwhile, Will Taylor, the, he played quarterback at, you know, he was a quarterback at Dutch Fork last season. He was the Clemson punt returner. It's kind of interesting because you don't really hear of too many quarterbacks playing, I mean, are doing punt return, but I guess he's a sure hands guy. Wouldn't be surprised if Clemson at some point started using him in the slot. He is also going to, um, yeah, as they start using him in the slot as well as punt returner, because they're used to always having, you know, that white fast receiver, usually in the slot, like the Hunter Renfro's, if you remember the Tyler Grisham's and those guys. And so looking, looking to see if they'll get him on the field a little bit more. Did think it was very impressive that he avoided the red shirt because this guy like to come into Clemson and he's not the tallest guy. I think he's like five nine, five ten, like maybe like 170, 180 pounds. And we have to avoid the red shirt. That means the coaches definitely see something in him. So very interesting to see his career at Clemson on the football field and also on the baseball diamond. All right, y'all. So next up, you know, we got to talk about my Ohio State Buckeyes who got the win on Thursday night with a final score of 45 to 31 over Minnesota. One thing I did not realize before we even really get into this game, I was looking at some numbers and stuff and they, they brought it to my attention that the reason that, because most of the time you'll notice Ohio State always plays at noon. Like, okay, because it's Thursday night, they'll play a night game, but Usually on Saturday, they play at noon. I was wondering why that is. And a lot of Ohio State fans kind of hate that. But it actually makes a lot of sense because usually the best games in college football are not at noon. And so viewers that are just want to watch college football might go ahead and tune in Ohio State at 12. And, you know, the business of it, the more viewers and more advertising dollars and things of that nature. And so I know a lot of Buckeye fans hate the fact that they're always playing at 12 o'clock, even like they have Oregon this next week. And that's going to be early at 12. They're like, why is this? But that's the reason because because. Not only will Ohio State fans watch them at noon, but the rest of the uh, fans across the country will also tune in early. And so it actually kind of makes a lot of sense from the business perspective. It just sucks because every team seems to want like night games and it's just more fun for the fan base. But all this stuff is ran by money. Never forget, we are uh, participants of capitalism. But anyway, now this game, CJ Stroud, start off slow. He's kind of gunning the balls really hard at guys that were like right there next to him. And you could just tell, and he even said it in the post-game press conference, he was pressing a little bit. 
which I think it could be understandable. It was a messy night game because it's raining in Minnesota. You're on the road, loud atmosphere. And this was his first time ever throwing a collegiate pass in the game. So one could understand. I think sometimes we need to kind of show some grace to some of these quarterbacks. Like, yo, these dudes are freshmen out here doing this at 19 years old. And quarterback is depending on who you're talking to. But for the large majority of people, agree it's a tough position to play in sports. So everybody needs to extend some grace there. But he even had the interception early in the game off a tip pass to Chris Olave. Ohio State went in the locker room at halftime down. And man, the fan base at Ohio State, which I am a part of, but they were killing him on Twitter. This isn't our guy. Get the other guys. Get Quinn Ewers. Fly him from Ohio. You know, people just be talking crazy. And uh, But it was really great to see him kind of settle in there, just kind of calm down in the second half and really get this, really get things going. Ryan Day did not kind of pull off of him. Like, because a lot of times coaches say, okay, we're just going to run the ball and he's just not ready for this moment. He's like, nope, we're going to keep throwing it. Listen to these stats. In the first half, um, CJ Stroud went eight for 14 for 58 yards and interception. In the second half, he went five for eight for 236 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. That is insane. The weapons at Ohio State are like second to none. Well, first of all, let me give you the C.J. Stroud, the, the, the numbers. He ended up for the day 13 for 22, 294 yards, four touchdowns with interception. The, one of their running backs, Mayan Williams, I call him the bowling ball. I'm pretty sure he's number 28. He went. He had nine carries for 125 yards and a touchdown. He broke like a 70-yard touchdown. It didn't seem like he was running that fast, but like I said, the bowling ball, got, but the bowling ball kind of picked up momentum. Travion Henderson, their other running back, which they're saying it might be is better off this far in his career than J.K. Dobbins was at this point. And J.K. Dobbins, we all know what he did at Iowa State. I think he had 1,700 rushing yards his senior season. But yeah, Travion Henderson is drawing rare reviews, took the screen 70 yards, hit the piece in the end zone on his way to the end zone. And he just knew kind of what time it was. Very excited for him as a freshman to in that in that game to be able to have a big play like that that builds a lot of confidence. Now for those Ohio State receivers, Chris Olave, two touchdowns. Uh, wait, did Chris have two? Yeah, I think he had two touchdowns for four four catches, 117 yards. Yeah, he's just smooth with it. He's not the biggest guy that most people think. And even Urban Meyer, who's now NFL head coach, thought that he was like he's a first round talent last year, but he decided to come back. I guess he won the championship. I'm not 100 percent sure. But uh, for him, he did that. Garrett Wilson, who will probably be a first-rounder this year, he comes out of the state of Texas. Uh, he's a junior, I want to say, but five catches for 80 yards and the touchdowns. And so you both of those guys got fed, and they're, they're happy. You could tell for a while there, like Chris Olave was like, all right, come on, CJ. But when they got it going, all was well. Master T was one of the running backs for Ohio State as well. And he was actually like, I want to say he was the starter last year. If I'm not, yeah, because he was a starter. Trey Sermon came along, and he's just kind of the ground and pound guy, but he's just a little bit more, uh, you know, the running backs like the huge neck and just runs it downhill. And it seems like in this day in college football, you got you got to have guys that are a little bit able to have a little bit more, uh, like kind of can bounce left, bounce right, can cut a little bit more on the dime. Master Teague is what you would call the meathead, but the Minnesota running back Ibrahim finished with Ibrahim. As a matter of fact, finished. Didn't mean to mispronounce that name. He finished with 30 carries for 163 yards and two touchdowns. He was a beast. He was really a problem for Ohio State, and he really showed how much problems we are having right now in that run, uh, run defense. But anyway, uh, he got hurt in this game, and he has had to have lower leg season-ending surgery. So the next time we see him, he'll be in the NFL, probably be drafted pretty high, depending on what that injury is and how well he recovers. But he, he was causing Ohio State all kind of fits, and they had no answers for him. Next week, Ohio State has Oregon, though. 
like I said before, when I was explaining everything, it's going to be a noon Fox game. Joel Clad in the booth is going to be great to watch. Oregon's quarterback is Anthony Woods at Williams, who transferred from Boston College. Just want to let y'all know he is the truth. I remember watching him at Boston College against Clemson. I was like, oh, that's going to be a guy. So he headed out to the Pac-12. Last year, he didn't get in quite as much. But this year, I think he is the starter. They also have a five, like not a five-star. This guy ain't coming out of high school. He's about to go pro. He's a star defensive end, consists his top five uh, 2020 NFL draft prospect, Kavion Thibodeau's. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a weird name, but nonetheless. And anyway, he sprained his foot, though, against Fresno State. And so a lot of Ohio State fans were looking like, uh-oh, that, that could be problems because that's the guy that we're going to have the game plan for all next week. But uh, they said it's just a sprain. So he probably won't be 100%. But generally, guys, uh, adrenaline kind of keeps them going in these big games. This is a big game for both schools. You're happy to see college football kind of scheduling these top games. And like I said, that will be a Fox at noon. All right, now we're going to keep going here. We're going to talk about these South Carolina Gamecocks for the Gamecocks lovers out here. They didn't. They did end up getting the win against Eastern Illinois with the final score of forty-six to nothing in the Shane D, Shane Beamer. Actually, the Zeb Nolan debut. Shane Beamer is the beginning of his era. The high running guy was uh, Zaquandre White from. He actually came from Florida State, then he went to Iowa Western Community College, Juco, so he's a Juco product, and now he's at South Carolina. He had 12 carries for 128 yards and a touchdown. He also had a receiving touchdown on top of that, and he, that backfield is going to be crowded at South Carolina. Between him, Kevin Harris, who was outstanding last season, and Marshawn Lloyd, I don't know how they're going to split all those carries, but uh, I'm sure they'll make it happen, or one guy may end up transferring. Maybe Kevin Harris can go pro. I think he might be a junior this year. But as Shane Beamer has promised, the Titans did get involved. Jaheim Bell and Nick Muse both had touchdowns. Zeb overall, Zeb Nolan, the quarterback, the graduate assistant that, that made headliner news last week, he overall went 13 for 22, 121 yards and four touchdowns. I was thinking about it. Zeb has to be loving life right now. Started in the Big 12 at Iowa State, end up going to sit behind, um, what's our guy from San Francisco? I cannot, Trey Lance at at what's this school, North Dakota State. And he's like, okay, now I guess I'll go coach. Turns out now he's gonna be put now he's playing in the SEC at, at a fan base that's really hungry and there and is starting a new era under Shane Beamer. So he has to be ecstatic right now. Now I do want to present some caution to South Carolina fans is what's brought to my attention that Eastern Illinois has only won two games in the past two seasons. So with that being said, a is great 46 nothing we even got to see some block punts and things of that nature but like calm down a little bit let's just see but you know what I ain't mad at Carolina fans have been through a lot enjoy the win this week Carolina will play East Carolina the game will be at what time is it a noon game on ESPN2 in Greenville North Carolina should be interesting to see if the game talks can keep the can continue to keep the wins coming and we'll see what happens and after that game Georgia comes to town I want to say Georgia comes to town I'll have that. I'll have more information on that next week, but they definitely do play Georgia the week after. So hopefully Carolina can keep it going and get two wins. We're going to stay in the SEC where LSU completely disgraced the SEC by using the UCLA. The SEC does not lose to the Pac-12. It just doesn't happen. So the fact that LSU went to the Rose Bowl, I was excited. I was all there playing in the Rose Bowl and to go out there and lose the UCLA. I would almost take it if they lost to Oregon or to the University of Southern Cal, but UCLA ain't really 
ain't really been hitting on nothing since I feel like since uh you know I'm pretty sure everybody has almost like AT&T U-verse direct TV nowadays but since AT&T U-verse has been a thing uh UCLA hasn't been much in anything so to see them lose that that was disappointing Coach O I was thinking about this Coach O has the very same problem Gene Chizik had Gene Chizik from Auburn I don't know if y'all remembered him he used to always say this place was I remember him from those expressions this place was this place was made great long before you got here just keep it great that year when Cam Newton had that Heisman Trophy National Championship campaign that guy well he was able to do it with Cam and Nick Fairley and company but as soon as Cam left he kind of just fell off Coach O is kind of the same thing he's able to do it with Joe Burrow and all those guys but it just don't sound he's been able to get the job done since then Last year, I think he did an overall a lot of his staff and stuff. But uh, this year, I think that if he can't get it done between this year and next year, they might kind of get him up out of there. So hopefully LSU can keep it going. I heard somebody saying, yeah, but they, they might – I heard somebody's maybe projecting they might be able to take off Alabama and not after losing UCLA. Absolutely not. Just kind of forget about that one. So we'll see how that continues. We're going to go to the ACC here. Yeah, so in the ACC, Florida State, Notre Dame played on Sunday night. Notre Dame pulled out the win with the final score of 41-38. The energy was outstanding for this game. Just an outstanding weekend for energy and college football in general. Florida State almost was able to get the win at home. But I think for Florida State fans, you got to be happy that you're competitive with Notre Dame. Because that means if you're competitive with Notre Dame, you're competitive with most of the ACC, if not a little bit better than them. Kyle Hamilton, first of all, I want to kind of hint at but the Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton, who had the two interceptions, one of which coming all the way from the opposite side of the field to catch the interception. That guy is an All-American, 6'4", 220-pounders. They're already thinking, will he be the highest-ranking safety coming out of this year of the draft? But that, that was definitely – like the distance that he came to close and to still catch the interception, and I know it surprised the Florida State quarterback because he didn't even see him coming. It's like, where, where is this guy coming from? So that was a, definitely a major play. Definitely wanted to highlight that. In my opinion, I think Florida State has two quarterbacks that can get the, that can get the job done. Jordan Travis, he is one fast quarterback, really athletic. He, when you watch him, you see a lot of quarterbacks do stuff like that in high school. And then by the time you get to college, you can't do that. Like, I remember at one point near the red zone, he, I think he was in the red zone. He reversed the field and found the guy open on the back end who was like, I think running like a backside slant or something. So I think he can definitely get the job done. Definitely has to get some more experience. And Mackenzie Milton, who is, who everybody was been talking about all weekend with his recovery story. He was a beast at the university of central Florida. Then I'm, I did some research. So I can tell you exactly what happened. Because I know a lot of times it's like, yeah, he had a great recovery. So people are like, what actually happened? So he suffered a knee, a knee dislocation in his knee where the thigh bone and lower leg bone were completely dislocated. That caused significant disruption to the blood, blood flow in his leg. He also tore ligaments and some tendons resulting in no nerve function or very little nerve function in his knee per a doctor or source. One, one doctor reportedly told Milton that nearly 50% of patients with similar, energy, with similar injuries have had to have that leg amputated. The damage was more severe than expected, and they weren't sure if he was ever going to play football again. Nevertheless, if a lot of guys had to get that leg amputated, and probably wonder if he'd be able to walk again. But he was able to, like, after the starter, after Jordan Travis' helmet kind of got popped off, they put him in the game, was able to complete some passes, and so... I think they might roll with Travis for the time being, but uh, definitely they know they have a backup that can definitely get the job done. That's just a great story for him to be able to come back. He'll probably get like comeback player of the year award. I'm sure they're giving that out the college football awards at the end of the season. It's nice to see the overall 
overall in the game. Like I said, Notre Dame did pull out the win. But it's nice to see that Dope Campbell has the energy back in that stadium. You remember the times like, and I'm just saying, I wasn't born when Deion Sanders was playing. But nonetheless, whenever you see, remember watching Jameis Winston and Jalen Ramsey and those guys, how energetic that building was, it's nice to see that's kind of coming back there. You know, the fast running backs. Florida State's always going to have fast skill guys, but definitely great to see that going on in Dope Campbell Stadium. And I said this before because I watch recruiting a little bit. Mike Norvell seems to be the right guy for that job. Then everybody can coach there, as we can see, they went through a couple coaches or there at Florida State. But it seems like if they get their guys kind of like him and our guys like Jimbo Fisher, they're, those are the guys for that uh, program. And we will see if they can kind of bring it, get it back to prominence because the ACC is better whenever Florida State, Miami, Clemson, like Clemson just got to have some competition. Are we going to talk about this North Carolina, Virginia Tech thing next? Because we were expecting North Carolina to be like that heavy competition in the ACC. And I just don't, I don't know if it's going to happen. But anyway, like I was saying, so for North Carolina, they played Virginia Tech, final score of 10-17, Virginia Tech got the win, and the thing that was so crazy about this was Matt Brown led them Tar Heels into that sandstorm at Virginia Tech as the number one team, as the number 10 team in the country, and so I think the Tar Heels, like, we got us this year, Sam Howell's a little bit older, he's more mature, we're going to be able to get it going. And man, oh man, did Virginia Tech have something else in store for him? Sam Howell, listen to this debut. And there's another guy a lot of people are talking about, first-round guy, which I, I think he could still potentially get back in that first-round conversation. Or Heisman, I think that's gone, though. He went 17 for 32, so completing a little bit, what's that, a little bit a bit more than half his passes. 208 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, and sacked six times. And I'm going to keep saying this. Once you get sacked four to five times, you really all the game plan at this point is kind of out of the quarterback's head. Like, he still knows, like, the keys and stuff he has to get to. But it's like, at this point, it's more about survival <laughs> than it is. I would use it if we were talking, like, um, in business. It'd be like, we're talking survival. We ain't talking about no stocks and bonds. Let's just get to survival. And that's what kind of happens. These guys keep pressured that much. Did want to give a major South Carolina shout-out. One of the Russians for, for Virginia Tech, Amari Barno, is a JUCO product out of Butler Community College, but he actually played high school football at Westwood. And he's a redshirt junior, 6'6", 245 pounds. Once again, his name is Amari Barno. He was a dominant president for the Hokies, six tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, 1.5 sacks, and a forced fumble. The Senior Bowl has him scouted to be one of the highest risers in the 2020 draft class this fall, 2022 draft class this fall. So the Senior Bowl has him scouted to be one of the highest risers in the 2022 draft class this fall. And man was all over the place. It seemed like at some point, like Sam saw him coming and he's like, he just got frightened real quick and kind of froze up there. So that definitely watch out for him to climb up the draft boards. And another South Carolina shout out. And South Carolina is doing pretty, the state of South Carolina. I feel like when I say South Carolina, you think the Gamecocks. The state of South Carolina is doing a pretty good job right now as far as getting talent out there. And these guys, whether they're in the ACC or the SEC, are going and putting up big numbers. And so maybe we'll see another John Morant type Zion Williamson, wherever the number one to two pick comes from the state of South Carolina. That's always great to see. We're going to keep moving here. We're going to go to the Big 12, where Oklahoma almost lost to Tulane. 40-35. Whenever Tulane got that onside kick, I was like, oh, this is for real. And the, the crazy thing is Tulane's coming off all those storms and stuff that's been happening. And um, I, know, I think they're in New Orleans, but I know Louisiana for sure. But uh, it's been crazy. To, so for them to be able to do all that, be able to hone all that in, come out and play against Oklahoma and still get the win, um, still almost get the win, that's major. Spencer Rattler, another for potential first-round draft pick. 
had two interceptions. But more importantly, that Oklahoma defense still struggles, still struggles tremendously. Um, one, I did want to mention that the game is supposed to be played at Tulane, but once again, because of all the damage that was done in Louisiana, they had to switch it. And like I said, Tulane almost got the job done, but just weren't able to pull off the win. Oklahoma got to do something because you're not going to, as we saw between Alabama and Georgia, it's like Oklahoma, y'all going to make it to the playoff and do the exact same thing as done in the past where you get there and get blown out unless y'all kind of get this thing going. Now, I do want to talk about just two quarterbacks that are not at like the power five conference schools, but just guys I'll probably be checking in on weekly uh, throughout the podcast because they're potential other first round quarterbacks. And I know I've said first round quarterbacks a lot in this, uh, in this episode, but a lot of these guys, because last year's class was so solid and every year they're trying to figure out who are, who are going to be the guys. And so I kind of label them on front and then whoever the guys who don't make it, they kind of just drift off, but definitely want to let you know who the guys are that you should be looking for. One of which is Desmond Riddler from Cincinnati. He went 20 for 25 for 295, four yards and four touchdowns, helping Cincinnati get the win over Miami of Ohio. Malik Wilson Willis, this is the guy from Liberty that you'll hear Quincy Avery talk about in every podcast he's on. He went 15 for 23 for 217 yards. And with the beat, when they beat Campbell with the final score of 48 to 7, they play Ole Miss. Liberty plays Ole Miss this season. That's going to be a really good game because you're going to see you're going to get to see Lane Kiffin fireworks versus Malik Willis and his team, who and I don't know if y'all remember, but they beat Coastal Carolina last season in the, I forgot what playoff game, not playoff game, but whatever bowl game that was. Did want to talk about a little, just briefly about NFL football. And like I said, I always bring something high school football related just to kind of get some of the local talent kind of out to the masses a little bit here. But in the NFL, I think everybody's excited for NFL season kickoff. You got the Cowboys versus the Bucks on Thursday night. Game will be in Tampa, the defending world champs. Cowboys, Big scene, big night. I expect a loss. Really excited to see Jalen, though. Jalen Smith play and company and uh, Ezekiel Elliott, C.D. Lamb, all the guys. Dak Prescott, see what he can do this year. But I, I just, you know, when, whenever the stage is the biggest, it seems like the Cowboys always find a way to lose the game. So definitely will be rooting against them. But those individual guys, especially Jalen, because he had a great comeback story as well, coming out of Notre Dame, all excited to see him play. Um yeah. You know, one thing I did want to kind of mention here, though, is isn't it crazy that Antonio Brown, like two or three years ago, was like the, one of the best receivers in football? Now you kind of barely hear about him with the Buccaneers. We remember we saw him with that fight that he got to in training camp, but that just goes to show you nobody's bigger than the brand. And I guess as I'm talking about uh, players like that, that were at one point like the face of the league, Deshaun Watson, he's getting paid. He'll still be playing. He'll still be getting paid this year, but Tyrod Taylor has been named the starter. So, it's going to, we're going to see Kyle, I guess we'll watch throughout the year to see how that kind of turns out to see if any team they've been saying that to see if any team ends up picking them up. Well, I guess trading for them, Miami, it's been said that the Miami Dolphins owner really wants, them. but I guess, depending on all these lawsuits and stuff, he's like, I got to kind of see how things go. Cause we're going to have to trade so much for him. So we can't do that. And then he's in trial and missing games, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll watch for that. High school football. Got a shout out to Loris and Diamond Hornets who beat Hilton Head. High school with the final score of 35 to 6 to start the season 3 and 0. They will face Richland 1 Phenom, AC Flora, this, the, which is the defending state championships on this, on the defending state champions this Friday. That's definitely be a game to watch. 
pretty sure that game is going to be at Memorial Stadium, uh, which is Dreer and AC Flores' home stadium. So something to watch there. And then the Keenan running back, Marquise Williams, had 15 carries for 232 yards and a touchdown and a win against Dreer High School. Now, Dreer High School has not been the prominent program, not even prominent, but a relatively good program. That it was, I would say, about eight, the about eight, dang, no, 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 not eight, maybe like five years ago or so. But that's that's big for any uh, kid right there. 15 carries, 232 yards, and he also plays safety. I think we think he had like seven tackles too. So hopefully that kid was uh, extra hydrated. But major shout out to him. Keep up the great work. That is all I have for y'all. I guess that was kind of an abrupt ending. So yeah, so guys, so we'll try to redo that. So yeah, guys, so uh, that's all that I have for y'all. I think we done went through it all, college football, NFL. We'll be back to the regular intro next week. But like I said, I just kind of wanted to squeeze as much out of that college football, that ESPN college football intro as I possibly can. Make sure y'all follow the Instagram account, at Matt Sports House on Instagram. So that's two S's, do it one at the end of Matt's and another one to begin Sports House. Make sure you follow that on Instagram. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep it going. And also follow the, the Twitter account as well. Like I always say, if you're a local business and you want, well, I don't even care if you're a local business. If you're a business and you want your product to get out to the masses or a message of some sort, maybe you have a sale going on, make sure to hit me up on the Instagram direct messages or you can just mess, email me at matthewcanderson4 at gmail.com and we will get you set up and ready to go. But thanks for listening. Got a lot of good content prepared for you all, all this season, for the whole season, for because we'll be rolling every week from now until Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Hey. Look. I wish everyone could tell me exactly what they need for me. The first second they speak to me, I'm not with all the secrecy secretly beefing me behind closed doors, but playing it peacefully for the streets to see my have some decency. Don't move like a could at least keep it a buck like answer to Kumbo. I made north of the border like Vito Rizzuto. Throwing parties in Miami, they loving us mucho. With the ratio, I'm like David Caruso. There's a mass shortage of people giving me kudos. I've been doing this since T-Pain was pouring us nouveau. You tell them I run the country, they'll say Trudeau.